episode five of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. If you like Sesame Street, you're going to love this guest. Rubber ducky, you're just kidding. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. All right. Welcome to episode number five. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far and subscribe to the show so you're getting all the episodes as they come out. Today, we have a great guest for you. As you heard in the intro, a famous superstar, Kate Anthony. Kate is a certified life coach who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages and then guides them through the divorce process should they just choose to leave. Kate empowers women to find their strength, passion, and confidence even in the most disempowering of circumstances and helps them move forward with concrete plans, putting their children at the center, not in the middle, of all decisions. In addition to her certification, Kate has also trained as a relationship coach and is an expert in communication, co-parenting, and emotional intelligence. Let's all welcome Kate Anthony. Hey, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to have you on. I know we've spoken a few times. Now, you are a certified life coach, right? I am. I remember the, the first time I heard that term and I was like, what the hell is that? Um, so, so in <laughs> case there's important. some listeners, what's that? It's very important, Jason. <laughs> That's what's very important. Very important. <laughs> Tell everybody what it is. Um, well, so, well, it's actually an interesting question because the coach, the coaching industry is not regulated. It is not licensed. You don't get a license to become a coach like a therapist would. And essentially Anyone can call themselves a coach at any time with no training, no certification. Uh, Additionally, a lot of places can say that they certify you to be a coach with literally no accreditation or affiliation. You know, I I could start a coaching school and teach people a weekend workshop and at the end of them, at the end of it, give them a quote certification, right? It's anybody's game. Right. So, uh, but that's not what I did. (laughs) Um, I went to a school called the Coaches Training Institute. They are the largest coach training organization in the world, and they are accredited by the one governing body that is an unofficial governing governing body, but it is the most respected governing body of coaches um, in the world called the International uh, Coach Federation or ICF. Um, So I went through their program, which was about a year long. And then I went through their certification, which was another six months, maybe, the certification program. It's really rigorous. And like therapists, you have to submit uh, your coaching calls at, for supervision, and they give you feedback, and they, uh, they criticize you. Um, you have to have an oral and a written final exam and all of that. So it's, it, my, my training was pretty rigorous. And then I did an additional year of training with a relationship coaching outfit um, called CRR Global, the Center for Right Relationship. And they do something called organization and relationship, um, organization and relationship systems training, no coaching. 
<laughs> I'm already it's, say that three times fast. Organ, I know, right? Organization relationship systems coaching. That's what it is, and it's really using family systems theory uh, through for training for organizations and relationship coaching. So, and I did that for another year. So, I got a lot of training, a lot of training under my belt to call myself a certified coach. Yeah, I'll say I'm exhausted already. I know. <laughs> That's it, everybody. We're done. Like I said, I'm very important. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big show. You didn't really expect that long of an answer, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Now now we know we're talking to a a really important, qualified person here. There we go. There we go. But how did you get into this? Like, you know, just give us a little glimpse into your your personal life and like, how did you end up here? Well, um, I ended up here because I got divorced. Um, surprisingly enough. So I was, I was actually an actor for 30 years. I don't think you know this about me, Jason. Um, I was an actor for 30 years. I actually do, but the other people probably don't. They, yeah. Okay. So I was an actor for 30 years. I'm not very old. I just, uh, I just play old on TV. No, I I started (laughs) when I was really young. I started, I'm really punchy today. Um, I started on Sesame street. Uh, Started my career when I was three, and uh, I did Sesame Street till they forced me into retirement at seven. And then so wait, I, what did you do on Sesame Street? I was one of the kids, like the real kids. Yeah, like the real. Yes, no, not a Muppet kid, <laughs> a real kid. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Uh, you can throw it in the show notes if you want, but I'll send you a picture of me. Yeah, we all have to see this. Yeah, with Grover. Absolutely. Oh, I love Grover. Mm-hmm. Grover and I did a lot together. There's even video. <laughs> so I'll show that to you. Yeah. And also Ray Charles. I mean, I got some great stuff from Sesame Street. So um, I did that. And, you know, I grew up in New York City. And, uh, and I was a, so I was a child actor as well, uh, mostly in theater, because that's what you do in New York. And then I went to college and, and I had this really long, quite successful career. Um, I always like to say I started with five years on Sesame Street and I ended with five years on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and then there was lots of film and television and, and uh, theater, mostly theater in between. But uh, when, I got, when I got pregnant with my son, my husband's, my now ex-husband's career was taking off uh, as a voiceover artist. And we made the decision that I would stay home with him, uh, with our son when he was right. born. And we were able to do that. And it was like, wow, this is the timing of this is amazing. We had been so poor for so long <laughs> that we were like, wow. And uh, so I was a stay-at-home mom for three years. And when I got divorced, I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life and how I was going to support myself. Um, I had a couple of years. We, we were married for five years. So I had two and a half years of spousal support. Because in California, it's 50% of the duration of the marriage. And I had child support, but I knew that, you know, within a couple of years, I was going to have to be fully self-supporting. And when I was looking down the road, I thought two and a half years, like that's forever. I can totally get that figured out. Like, or I'll just get remarried and everything will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I had a couple of plans. I hear Grover's single. Grover, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Listen, Jason, it's coming down to that, okay? (laughs) Blue monsters. Um, So, uh, yeah, so I was looking down the road. I thought, wow, that's a really long time. I'll figure that out. And, you know, it's spoiler alert. It's not. It's not a long time at all. 
And halfway through, I was still trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do? And I, and I knew I didn't want to act anymore because it's just, first of all, it's not reliable income. Uh, I knew I couldn't be driving around LA with my three-year-old. It was just, it was, there were so many reasons that I was not going to act anymore. Right. And uh, people had always told me that I should be a therapist. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to be a therapist. That sounds awful. But then people said, you should be a coach. And I was like, oh, I, that actually sounds interesting. So I went and I, and I thought I would go give it a shot and see how I felt about it when I went to the first weekend, the introductory weekend, and I fell in love. And I was pulled aside by one of our teachers who said, you know, you, this, you need to do this. This is your calling and you need to do this. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just checking it out. And she was like, yeah, so I've been doing this for 25 years. And I don't say this to people, so you need to be doing this. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, by the end of the weekend, I had signed up for the rest of the training and certification. So you see, um, that's my story. So you you came, you came for the coffee and the donuts and you left with the career. Totally. Totally. And I wish it was that quick uh, because, you know, as you know, a coaching career is not a, it's not a, it's not a quick fix. It's not, it's not a, a, an easy path or a linear path or a, you know, overly lucrative path. Um, I don't even think there is a path. I just see like, right. I, I see footprints in dirt and <laughs> <laughs> some hills. Yeah. Some like, yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I, I understand that completely. Um, you know, switching into coaching myself. Now, as a coach now, what you do is you work with women who decide and you help them decide if they should stay in their marriage or leave, right? Yep. Do you work only with women? You know, I do. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, mostly women seek me out. Uh, I think I, I am a woman. Um, I speak a lot to women's issues. Um, so that's, I think those issues are are very specific. Um, and I, I have had a bunch of men get in contact with me and ask me if I work with men and I've said, sure, why don't you, you know, set up a consult? Let's see what can happen. And they've never followed through. Really? (laughs) Well, I think, you know, personal development is overwhelmingly consumed by women. Probably about 90% of the personal development industry is, um, you know, is female consumed. And, and that's just, I guess that's just the way it is right now. And I wish it wasn't. And I would love to invite more men into these conversations. You know, and the other reason I work with women is that I am a woman. Uh, I, I just feel like I can speak to the female experience. Um, I know a lot of men get a lot out of my podcast because I think they can, they hear the other side and they're like, Oh, that's, you know, they learn stuff. And I get a lot of emails from men, but yeah, whenever I've been like, sure, let's talk about working together. They haven't stepped forward. Hmm. You must be very scary. I know. I'm terrifying. I'm very intimidated. <laughs> I'm, I'm troubling right now. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. But I also think I'm a woman. And I, and I also think that those boundaries, especially dealing with what I deal with, uh, I just, I think that boundaries probably better anyway, frankly. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of go to where it's comfortable and where, you know, uh, you gravitate to that, that makes sense. Now talk a little bit about that process and, and how you help your clients figure out if they should stay in a marriage or it's time to 
time to go. What What's involved in that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, um, hmm, a lot of education, right? So I, part of my process is figuring, helping women figure out, A, is what's happening in their marriage, like really actually unacceptable. Uh, unfortunately, I deal with helping a lot of women uh, uncover or recognize emotional abusive patterns. Um, and I, I, I don't know how this has come to me as much as it has, but it does probably because I experienced it and I talk about it. Um, so there's a lot of sort of education on, on that. Uh, and I also deal with, um, and then there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of women obviously who are not being emotionally abused and that's totally fine. And I, I do a lot of education on what is cultural versus what's just in your marriage, right? There's, there's a lot, there are a lot of cultural aspects that affect marriage that if you kind of throw in the towel on this one and you just want to marry somebody else because you think it's going to be any different, and then you're basically left with the same stuff because it's just the society that we live in. Right. right. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that. I also work with women on taking personal responsibility for their parts in what's happened. And I, I do a very in-depth inventory analysis and an inventory process that helps women see uh, what red flags they missed? How did they buy into this? How do they participate in this? How are they? So it's really separating out what's his and what's theirs uh, so that they can either adjust their behavior and, and work to heal their marriage, whether it's communication styles, whether it's um, uh, Lord knows what else it could be, right? So right. many things. Um, and when they are able to pull apart what's what's his and what's theirs, they can they can take responsibility and work to change them, or if they really come, they they start to get an objective view of the the marriage as a whole and what's workable, what's not workable, and uh, as that comes into view, if they choose to leave, they can do it from a place of forgiveness and sort of being complete with the relationship without resentment and blame and um, all the toxic stuff. So that they're moving into their divorce, into uh, they're moving into their divorce from a healed and for and place of forgiveness, right? Which, as you and I have talked about before, really helps the divorce process immeasurably. Oh yeah, it it sets the whole tone for for the whole the whole thing. Yep. Now I know every case is kind of unique, and no two people are alike, obviously. But on average, how long do you work with? somebody typically? Typically, I work with women for three months. I ask for a three-month engagement because there's a lot of work to be done um, on self-awareness and, you know, triggers and values. And I help women get in touch with their inner guide and their inner critics. And so there's a lot of like inner person, interpersonal, like inner, inner work going on. <clears throat> so there's three months. And then at that point, we can continue on month to month or they can you know, be free or they can re up for another three months if they're getting divorced and then they need me to walk through the divorce process with them. That we right. do that. Yeah. Now at the end of the journey with you, whether it's three months, five months, six months, whatever it is, is there usually a, like, I don't know how to say it, like a, a like a light bulb, aha moment where, you know, you and 
you and her come to this, you know, realization where, okay, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm staying or I'm going like it, it, it hits him yeah. at the end. I, I wish it was that cut and dry. It's not, it, right. you know, it never is for anybody. And at the end of the three months, usually they've, usually they know the answer um, early in the process, if not before, before beginning the process. And for, you know, our work is a lot of clarifying what they already know now. I mean, if they really don't know, then great. Like we'll go through, you know, and I, and here's the thing, I'm never going to tell someone you need to leave, but I am also very direct. I'm not, I don't, I don't uh, pussyfoot around the issues. And if, so I never, I will never come out and say you need to leave, but I will say, so what you're, what you're describing sounds to me an awful lot like emotional abuse. And here's why, and here are the, you know, here are the statistics and here's the research on that. And, you know, here's what you need to know, read this and, and come and tell me what you think. You know, they, they are completely empowered to make their decision on their own, but they, I want them to be really educated about it. Right. Right. Of course. Now, like talking about emotional abuse and, and other, you know, red flags, if you want to call them that, that kind of indicate something is going on here that is not good. Mm-hmm. What, can you go over some of those things like that you see when you work with people that are might be common indicators that a, a marriage is is not heading in the right direction? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, you think about uh, just lack of trust. If I get a lot of people saying, "Hey, um, my husband is reading my emails," so um, and I was, at, you know, and at, or I don't remember what the, you know, a, a bunch of people for a period of time were telling me that their husbands were reading my emails and they loved my emails, but they had to unsubscribe from my list or something because my husband caught me reading your emails. And to, to me, like if your husband is in your emails or if you're in his emails, you have a trust problem. Right. That's pretty deep. And nobody should be reading your emails uh, without your consent. And if you feel that you need to give your consent there to that, that's also like, that, that's something, there's something wrong there. I think, uh, criticism, you know, constant criticism, uh, being told that your behavior, um, should be a particular way that you're embarrassing, you know, in some, in some way, um, you know, I'll speak from my own experience. I used to leave parties with my ex and he would tell me all the things that I had done wrong, all the ways that I was speaking wrong, all the ways that my, um, my tone of voice or the way that I looked or the something, just something, there was always something wrong. You mean at the party? That, yeah, about how I had behaved at the party. So we would leave or we would be there and he would be giving me looks like I was really screwing up. It's a party. Um, yeah, there's. I'm not. We're not going to get into the logic of right. this kind of behavior. You're divorced. That's the end we're of story. Not gonna, exactly. We're not going to go into like why it doesn't make sense. I just don't understand. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he would do things like tell me he hated the sound of my voice. He would tell me. I mean, it was just it was insane. So you know, checking up on on your weight, making comments about about a woman's weight or body. Um, oh, one of my favorites of my ex was that he at once asked me, <laughs> my ex is kind of extreme in this, in these ways. Like it's not subtle. He would, a- he once asked me why my body couldn't look like my best friend's body. <laughs> oh my God. Who literally had just like a different body than I do. Right? Like <laughs> she's like built like a, like a teenage boy. She's got like no hips and, 
uh, and I was, and I'm curvy. Like uh, that's just because I'm different because I'm not her. Um, but that's the kind of thing, right? That are huge red flags. If someone is criticizing you uh, for every little thing and making you responsible for the way that they appear or feel, that's a problem. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, and I spoke with this, uh, with one of my other guests uh, and it's like the difference between, you know, saying there's an issue with, oh, you, you leave the towels on the floor all the time, or you leave the lights on all the time, stuff like that versus like character criticism. Like, you know, oh yeah, like exactly. you, you are just a terrible person or, you know, I don't like the way you, your, your voice sounds. It's like, well, but you, you knew that before you married me. Like, this is who I am. <laughs> that, yeah. That, yeah. That stuff doesn't change. It's sort of, it's that living with that constant, that feeling that you're constantly trying to be changed. Right. You know, and uh, yeah. And of course I was doing the same thing to him. I was constantly trying to change him and get him to be different and not be that way. Right. So I was complicit. The thing is that I had to come to terms with after a while was like, where am I responsible for showing up for this relationship like this? I was really committed to being a victim. I was really committed to my own victimhood because it made me sort of the hero in a way. And in my own healing process, and this is what I help women with, you know, it's like, well, he's going to, he's going to be behave the way that he behaves, right? He's not here. He's not in this coaching relationship. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about, you know, what is it in your history, in your past that has you attracted to this kind of person that had you married this kind of person? Um, what is it about you that is the vessel for this to get poured into? Right. It's almost like I say this all the time. You, you can't change him or you can't change the other person's actions. You can only, you only control what you do. Yep. You can only change your reactions. And if you continue to stay, right. you know, and I, I had a thing where I actually long after my divorce, I continued to stay in my role of victim and my husband was, my ex-husband was continuing to emotionally abuse me and treat me really badly well into our divorce. I think five years into our divorce until I finally it dawned on me. It was a really horrible, horrible, horrible fight where he was being so abusive, like it was crazy, that I realized that I was still, I divorced him, but I was still showing up for it. And it was really difficult to vacate that role. And this is part of systems theory that, you know, my training as a relationship coach, you know, systems theory deals with, you know, roles and, you know, what role you're occupying in a relationship and in a family system. And uh, it's really hard to to, to um, vacate a role. Even if you vacate, you know, you think you vacated the system, <laughs> like it's still there. So um, that was a whole other layer of healing and removing myself from um, from being in that, in that position, I had divorced him, but I had never given up the role of a victim. And for years I thought it was, you know, I, I would never get him to stop that. It was about getting him to stop. And I eventually had to learn that it was at, it was getting me to stop showing up. And right. once I did that, I'll tell you what, he has never, ever treated me like that again in five years. It's like fueling the fire. You're fueling the fire. Yep. You just 
Yep. And it's really complicated. And it's not, again, not linear and not like, oh, you just stop doing this and then he'll stop. It's like, it's so much deeper than that. <laughs> so yeah. yeah that, and that's a huge part of what I work on, work with women on. Now, do you, would you classify your ex as a narcissist? This is a hot, hot topic, narcissism and narcissists it, and people yep. throw it around all the time. And I think, I think it's, you know, a little overused to be honest, yeah. but there's no doubt right. there's a lot of them out there. Well, so, I mean, listen, I mean, my ex was diagnosed as a narcissist in our couples therapy. Um, our couples therapist diagnosed me as a codependent, which was no big surprise. And he diagnosed my ex as a narcissist. And he asked us to go home and do some reading and research and for both of us to really um, look into it. And I was, you know, okay, like I'll do more work on that because I had done a lot of work on that in, the, you know, for a while. But what my ex found was that all the, all the articles on narcissism was about narcissistic personality disorder. And he doesn't have that. He okay. clear, he's not, he does not have NPD. Like it's, that's a, that is a, you know, clinical diagnosis. That's really terrible. Right. Um, and he doesn't have that. So he kind of absolved himself <laughs> of having to look any further. And, uh, I mean, our, our therapist agreed with him. He's like, so I, everything, so I looked and everything was about NPD and I don't think I have NPD. And, and our doc and our therapist was like, no, 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 of course you don't. Um, and so that kind of left it there. And unfortunately, yeah. I think that's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. He is a narcissist. He's absolutely a narcissist. And I understand that that's very, um, widely used and broadly used and there are broad strokes to it, but Yes, <laughs> diagnostically so. But I'm glad you brought it up. The fact that you know NPD or narcissistic uh, narcissist personality disorder is a right. It's like its own. It's its own thing. It's its own diagnosis. It does not yeah. every narcissist has that, and right. it, I think people kind of use it a little overly, a little too much. But it, it's definitely serious. No doubt about that. Yeah, I mean NPD is a personality disorder. Right. Like that's 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 a big deal. It, there is a difference. There is a difference. And yet it's, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't make living with a narcissist easy or better, or, I mean, I'm sure it's better than living with someone who has a personality disorder. Sure. But no, a narcissist is uh right. It's a very difficult personality and, and, and dealing with people with those traits, it's a lot of times leads to divorce, unfortunately. Yeah. And I would say the biggest one, right? The biggest trait is that they really, narcissists have no boundary between where they end and you begin. And so everything that you do or say is a reflection, a direct reflection, and not just a reflection, it's an extension of them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you have a parent who's a narcissist, then your parents are, you know, smothering and controlling because they, you are, you are literally a part of them. Right. Um, and that, that has, there's lots of, lots of different ways that that manifests with parents. But I think with, with spouses, the way that that can manifest husbands and wives, by the way, is that everything is a reflection. You are a, you are literally a piece of them. And so there's a lot of control there's a lot of, um, you know, like, you know, like my ex did that when we would leave a party, I had, I had somehow done something to him because he deemed my behavior unacceptable. And it was, you know, in his mind, that was about him. A reflection on him, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's, 
yeah, it, it's very difficult to live with that. Yeah, no doubt. Now, as part of your your work and coaching, you also spend a lot of time dealing with custody issues, right? Well, you know, I don't, I, I tend to defer that out because I deal with custody, uh, making suggestions about custody arrangements. I have a lot of um, experience in child development stuff. And so I, I do make recommendations based on, you know, children's ages and how to talk to kids about it, and what I think is best for children. But I don't deal with custody issues because I'm not dealing with both parents. Right. No, I don't mean you're dealing with the actual custody issue. Yeah. But I mean, you know, custody, it's a big issue in a, in a divorce, obviously. And yeah. unfortunately, when you, the divorce ends, the legal part of the divorce ends and there's children involved, minor children, you know, you hope the divorce is over. The truth is the battle sometimes is just beginning. Yep. And do you coach your clients on you know, how to deal with dealing with those kind of dynamics and, you know, focusing on the children yes. uh, and how you make those decisions <laughs> and those types of things? Yeah. I mean, I, t- I talk ad nauseum about the fact that you, in all of your divorce proceedings, in every decision that you make, you have got to put your children at the center and not in the middle of your decision-making process. Um, everything I do is for kids. I don't care how you get divorced if you don't have kids. I, I do not care. <laughs> you know, go ahead, you know, waste all your money, like whatever. But, you know, the fact of the matter is when you have kids, uh, the kids are, and we've talked about this, the way that the litigation system in particular is set up is to, to put kids in the middle. And you've got to have two parents who are uh, strong enough, who are recovered enough, who have, have healed enough to be able to put their kids in the center and think everything, everything has to go through the lens of what's best for my kids right now. Right. And that's what the law says too. Although the way that's played out sometimes doesn't, doesn't always work that way. But with the children involved, I have a question I want to ask you and you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Only if you have thoughts on this, because we've all heard situations and people who claim, well, I've stayed in the marriage this long, even though it's kind of a toxic marriage, but I've stayed in it for the children, for the children's sake. Do you think it's better for children to be in that type of a marriage or or an environment? Um, Or can, should parents... You know, every situation is different, but should parents, is it okay for the children if they get divorced when the children are younger and then hopefully the environment after that is much more, you know, positive? Absolutely. Should parents stay in marriages for children? No, they should not. All right, <laughs> answer that very directly. Um, if your marriage is, if your relationship is toxic, first of all, like hell no. Um, if you, I know, I know people, I have friends of mine who used to get on their hands and knees and pray every night for their parents to get divorced because it was so toxic. Right. So like, come on. Um, and then, uh, and there are, there are relationships that are not that toxic, of course, but you know, my, so my marriage was super toxic and my sort of frying pan moment was when I was, we kept thinking that we were, we were going to be staying, we had to stay together for our son and my, I call it my frying pan moment. So the moment I got hit upside the head with a frying pan with the realization that what we were modeling 
like the environment that my child was going to grow up in was so not what I wanted to model to him. And I would advise all parents to think about what, because what you model is what your child is going to grow up to replicate. And that is just like, you know, psychology 101. And want your child to have a different relationship from the one that you have because they will, they will, it's, it's get, it's getting embedded. You know, my, I, I said, I, when I, I said to my ex at one point when we we're getting divorced, I said, I said, we both have the opportunity to create something. My ex and I brought out the worst in each other, like the worst. I have never been as awful a human being as I was in my marriage. And I'm pretty sure my ex has never been as awful a human being as he was in our marriage. And, and I said, at some point I said to him, listen, you and I both have the opportunity to find people that we like. (laughs) (laughs) Step Um, one. (laughs) It's step one. Right. And that we can, you know, I said, who am I to keep you from your happiness? And who are you to keep me from my happiness? We sure as hell aren't happy together. And I knew that there was someone out there that would make him happier and where our kids, our, our son would be able to see something better. And he is remarried. There is laughter and love and acceptance and joy in that house. And I see it all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow, <laughs> you know, but my kid gets to be raised in that environment. And that's really all that matters. Put my own stuff aside and accept that you know, my son and their other kids that, that they're raising are so much better off being raised in that environment than the one that we had for them. And, and on the flip side, you know, I am not remarried, but my son gets to see a woman who is, you know, making her own way, who works really hard to create something for herself and her, and her child, who's confident and happy. I was a miserable shell of a human being. And my son was going to grow up to marry a miserable, a miserable shell of a human being and probably treat her really terribly the way his dad treated me. No. Should I have stayed in that situation? Like I know mine was somewhat extreme, but it's really not all that different. It's really not. I I have a saying um, all the time. And I think it rings true. You let me know. I I say, you know, you hear the saying life is short, right? But Mm -hmm. Life can be really long if you're in the wrong marriage. Hell yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so life is too short to be in a bad situation. Now, that's yeah. not to say that, you know, when you encounter conflict in a marriage or a relationship that you should just, you know, like, you know, abandon ship right away. No, you got to work at it. And, wow. and, you know, relationships and marriages take work. But if you're in a toxic situation and you know there's just no uh, way to reconcile it, then, yep. Yeah. I mean, and look, and even if you're not in a toxic situation, you know, if you are miserably unhappy and you have done the work, here's the thing, here's the, here's my caveat. If you have gone to therapy for yourself and you have gone to couples therapy and you've really worked on what, where your unhappiness stems from, and even if your husband or your wife is the greatest, but you're still unhappy in your marriage and you've done the work. It's also okay to go. Right. It's, it, your 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 marriage may have just run its course. 
you know, and we can get into all sorts of conversations about whether, you know, humans are meant to mate for life or not, but that's okay too, because if you're miserable, you know, you deserve to be happy. You actually deserve to live a happy and fulfilled life. Exactly. Now, you don't deserve to blame it on your husband and trade him out for a new one because you think he's the problem if you haven't actually done all of the work on yourself to determine whether or not uh, that's true. Because 68% of second marriages end and 73% of third marriages end. And that's because we don't do the work on ourselves to figure out what went wrong the first time. And we just keep trading out the, the, you know, the partner and putting a new one in and the same problems arise. Yeah. The statistics on remarriage and, you know, second, third, fourth marriages even are just astonishing as far as the failure rate. Yep. We get worse. And and those stats I think are old. I think that, um, I think it's actually worse now. I have to double check on that, but yeah, I mean, the stats are, we're getting worse and worse and worse at marriage. And it's not because, we're getting worse at marriage. It's because we're getting worse at looking at ourselves and figuring out what went wrong and what we're responsible for. And you know what? I can't help but wonder, and this may be totally off base. And listen, I'm an attorney. I'm not a, uh, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a relationship expert. But tell me what you think about this. It's just my old gut feeling that yeah. with, in today's society, with the immediacy of everything, you know, we have to have immediate gratification, immediate uh-huh. answers uh-huh. with email, the phones, the texting, the tweeting, social media, that I, I really believe that's affected the way people relate interpersonally with each other. And in relationships, at the first moment of conflict, the all they want to do is kind of the immediate relief of that pain. And they think, okay, well, I'll just find something else that doesn't have this conflict. Yep. But of course I mean, it does because... Of course, it yeah. all does. Yes. I mean, and I think that, I honestly think that Tinder has had a huge impact on, you know, relationships and are as disposable as a swipe. And dating is, you know, people don't give, you don't go on two or three dates with someone anymore. It's like one and done, right? You yes. Just, and and a, like just a constant rotating, uh, it's a revolving door um, looking for this, this, I don't know what, perfection or... Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as there's conflict, eh, this isn't worth it. It's not worth the trouble. Yeah, it's because I know this from, um, you know, my younger brother and I won't air his uh, stories, you know, on the podcast here, but he killed me. But, you know, he does a lot of online dating and he just tells me over and over again. Yeah, it's like one date. And if it doesn't, you know, I don't know what people want after one date or during that one date, but it's like one and done as far as the dating and, you know, deciding if there could possibly be anything there. It's just astonishing to me. Yep. All right. Well, that's another show. (laughs) (laughs) Totally right. But I think you're right. I do think you're right, you know? And I think that with kids, people, here's the thing. I do think that kids stick it out more with kids because they can't just be, they can't just like one and done it, right? Um, But just because they're sticking it out doesn't mean they're doing the work. No, that's the key, doing the work, like you said. It's really key. Go to couples therapy, you know, figure out what, and go to individual therapy, call, you know, hire a coach, yeah, figure out what your part is, like do all of it. <laughs> and, and, and give it a chance. You can't go to like two sessions and say, oh, it's not working. No, no. no. Oh yeah. God. No, exactly. Oh, we no. tried therapy once. It didn't work. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how about this? People, I hear this all the time too. People 
you know, finding a therapist is like any other relationship. You have to have the right fit. So one therapist you might not be a good fit for, but then try somebody else. Like you can't just, therapists aren't all the same, right? Right. No, exactly. Try three, take, have, you know, consults with at least three different therapists, find out, find the right one for you. Yeah. And that goes for coaches and attorneys and absolutely anything really doctors, whatever you want. It goes for everything. Okay. Yep. yep. 100%. Oh, well, this was a good chat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, if I do say so myself, I always love a big yep. show and it started with Sesame street. I loved it, but tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at kateanthony.com. It's that's my website and on Instagram at, uh, coach Kate Anthony and I have my own podcast and Jason was a guest on that recently and it is the divorce survival guide podcast you can find that on my website or on iTunes or on um, Spotify or I don't know a few other places (laughs) (laughs) all over the internet Um, all over the place and I'm going to put links to all of these uh, in the show notes so if you're listening don't worry about it just uh, go to the show notes and you'll you'll Everything will be right there for you, um, including uh, a little uh, freebie. Uh, I think you're offering. I have a quiz. You have the quiz, the two-minute quiz. A two-minute quiz. Should I stay or should I go? Yes. It will help you assess quite quickly. Now, it's not going to tell you, yeah, go or (laughs) stay. It's perfect. Um, But it will help you get a little more clarity uh, and give you a couple of emails afterwards to help you get even more clarity. Yeah, a place to get started, right? Exactly, exactly. And then if uh, if you want, I'll also give you uh, a picture of me and Grover when I was three. <laughs> yes, we've already promised this, so we have. We promised we can't. We can't. Uh, we can't hold back now. <laughs> no, no, no. And and I want a link to the Sesame Street video if you have one. Yep. Okay. Awesome. I will send them over. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kate. And um, hopefully, we can do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. It's always great to talk to you. All right. I hope you really enjoyed that. I did. Kate Anthony, a real life superstar. She knows Grover. I mean, come on, folks. Now, if you like the show, if you like the podcast so far, do me a favor, subscribe on iTunes, leave a short review. It really helps rate it and um, wait for the next episode coming out real soon. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident and stay positive. As always, I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you.